for our reading from God's Word this evening. We're turning to Psalm 32. Uh, Psalm 32. It's a Psalm of David. And this is what it says. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord's, and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Amen. Amen. Well, as we uh, turn back to Psalm 32, uh, let's uh, pray together. Heavenly Father, we will praise you with an upright heart as we learn your righteous laws. Lord, we pray that with the psalmist this evening, asking that you might help us to learn what your word says, that we might praise you for it as we should, in light of your glory and grace. Speak to us through your word and by your spirit, and now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder, have you ever seen one of those films where there's that moment when there's a crushing weight that is pinning down one of the the main characters of the story? Maybe they've been trapped in a building that's collapsed and there's a steel beam or something like that that is uh, pinning them down and they just can't get out. Now, of course, if it's the hero that's trapped, they normally have some friend come and save them. And if it's the bad guy, well, he normally dies. Uh, Well, this evening, our passage is speaking of a crushing weight that is pinning us down of a heavy burden that is upon uh, your shoulders maybe maybe you know something of that uh, this evening you know the crushing weight of your guilt and of your shame of your sin pinning you down and you realize that that does not go away easily you know from your experience that release doesn't come from that until your sin is confessed until forgiveness is sought Maybe you're here this evening and you're very aware of your sin. Maybe you feel pinned down by it. You know no respite from it. Maybe you feel trapped. Maybe you feel the burden of uh, your sin. Maybe you're struggling with assurance. Am I really forgiven? Has God really forgiven me all my sins? Can I, of all people, really know that I'm right with God? Yes, friends, you can. 
And Psalm 32 is a wonderful encouragement to any of us here this evening who are trusting in the Lord Jesus because it assures us that you really are forgiven. This psalm tells us of the, the blessing of forgiveness and how from it flows wise living and joy in God Almighty. And so I want us to see two truths uh, this evening uh, from this psalm to encourage you on, Christian, in your faith uh, this week uh, as you follow the Lord Jesus. And for those of you yet who aren't trusting in him, uh, that you would hear this inc- incredible offer of mercy uh, to you tonight, and that you also would turn to faith uh, in uh, the Lord Jesus. And so then, firstly, in verses 1 to 5, let's be assured by this, God completely forgives. God completely forgives. This psalm begins with what has been called two Old Testament Beatitudes, like what we find in the Sermon of the Mount, which starts, blessed be, blessed be. Well, in verses 1 and 2, we read, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Here is wonderful blessedness, a joy, happiness in the complete forgiveness of the Lord. It's a forgiveness that is all-encompassing of all kinds of sin. And there are three different words described here for us that, that show us the scope of our sin that all of us are guilty of. The first, in verse 1, is transgressions. You and I know that we commit transgressions. We rebel against God and his word, his commands. We are disloyal to his good and wise ways. This means we literally transgress the line that God has set for our good. And we rebel against him. We commit transgressions against him. And friends, all of us are guilty of that this evening. And then another word in verse 2 is sin itself. You and I know that we sin. Literally, we miss the mark. Our lives are marked by sin. Often that's intentional, but sometimes it isn't, and yet it is still sin nonetheless. We sin against God. We fall short of his glory. We miss the mark of his expressed and revealed will in his words. And then thirdly, again in verse 1, you and I know that we commit sins against God, or iniquities, maybe your Bible says. That is, we commit wrong acts against God. We do crooked things, warped things. We consciously decide to do wrong. We transgress, we sin. We commit sins or iniquities. Three different words here at the start of this psalm. They aren't different sins. They all kind of overlap with each other. But it's showing us, isn't it, that we sin against God. We sin against our fellow human beings. And whether they are perceived to be big public sins or they're small secret sins in our eyes, whether they are conscientious and deliberate or unplanned, whether they are what is sometimes called a a sin of omission, things that we don't do that we should, or sins of commission, things that we do which we shouldn't, they are all serious. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. It's like if you were to imagine an archery target uh, with those colored rings with the gold in the middle. Maybe you've had a go at that. Uh, You've uh, had a go at archery and you weren't too bad at it, but it is harder than it looks. They make it look easy at the Olympics. But this isn't like you having a go when you hit the blue ring or the white ring or the black one. And you're almost getting there and you nearly hit the middle, but you at least hit the board and you think, oh, I'm not too bad at this. 
You know, the picture here is that the arrow that we shoot, it doesn't even reach the target. We miss the mark. Our arrow falls short. And I wonder if you've ever realized that. Do you realize that you're a sinner, that in God's sight, you've fallen short of his perfect standard? Maybe you've never heard that, or you've never really understood that. But right now you're convicted this evening of your standing before God. You're a rebel in his sight. You've transgressed his standard. You've done wrong. You've missed the mark of his perfection. Well, wonderfully, there's good news uh, for you this evening because this psalm here declares loud and clear that the forgiveness of God is complete. The forgiveness of each and every sin is found alone in him. Because while there are three words here for sin in these opening two verses, do you notice there's also three words that describe this absolute forgiveness? Look with me at them. The, the first word is there in verse 1. It's the word forgiveness itself. It literally means carried away. Your sin and your guilt are taken away. They are remembered no more. We read in Psalm 103 verse 12 that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Your sins are carried out of sight. They're gone. You no longer face the punishment that you deserve for them. The Christian sins are wonderfully forgiven. And then notice, also in verse 1, they are covered. They are covered. This is the gracious act of atonement. This means that your sin is dealt with. It's taken care of. As the Lord covers your sins, you're reconciled to God. And the sin is in the past now. And God chooses to no longer bring it up against you. The wrath of God is dealt with. Your sins are covered. And you now no longer know condemnation. And if that wasn't enough, we read on in verse 2. That the Lord does not count against them. The Lord does not count our sin against us he does not reckon our sin against us god now views those he has forgiven us justified we are accepted in the sight of god because he's covered our sins and has not counted them against us isn't that wonderful doesn't that blow your mind isn't god so merciful here, forgiveness is seen in this uh, full-orbed way. It's the lifting of a heavy burden. It's the covering of an ugly sight that we're ashamed of. And it's, it's, it's the cancelling of a debt. These two verses are actually quoted by the Apostle Paul as he writes in Romans 4 and verses 6 to 8 as an example from the Old Testament of God's justification of a sinner by his grace through faith and not works. There in Romans for Paul is speaking of the fact that our justification, our acceptance in the sight of God, it cannot be worked up. We cannot earn our forgiveness for our many sins. Instead, we can only trust God who justifies the ungodly. It is incredible, isn't it? As we sang this morning, how the grace of God amazes me. How great is the blessedness. How glorious is the blessing of tasting forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. God justifies the ungodly through his life and death and resurrection. It is in Jesus Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Your sins, my sins, they are totally forgiven. They are covered. They are atoned for. They are dealt with once and for all. They are not counted against you because of Jesus Christ, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And as we come around the Lord's table this evening, we must have this at the forefront of our minds. May the Lord prepare us for that.
as we're reminded through his word this evening that the Lord Jesus has taken the wrath of God upon himself. He has endured what you deserved. How blessed we are, brothers and sisters, that God's complete forgiveness is available to each and every single one of us this evening through Jesus Christ. I wonder, are you trusting in him for your forgiveness, for your rebellions, your wrongdoings, your faith in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins? You can hear the joyful excitement in these verses, can't you? There is a great blessedness of forgiveness. And it can be known through real, genuine repentance. And God knows our spirits. The Bible is clear. We saw last week in Psalm 5 that God is a holy God. He is just and he is righteous. And he's angry against sin. And it is an offense to him in his holiness and his goodness. And he, he hates it when anyone purposefully sins against him. And God knows your spirit. He knows this evening whether a request for forgiveness, a plea for mercy is an expression of true repentance and real sorrow for sin or if it's just a kind of regret for the consequences of sin. And so the true blessedness of forgiveness is known by us as we come with all integrity before the all-knowing God of the universe, confessing our sins and going on in the way of honesty. And integrity, blessed is the one, we're told, whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Is there any deceit in your spirit this evening? Have you truly come to the Lord in repentance and faith? Have you come to him confessing your sins and honestly pleading to him for forgiveness? You put your faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. That you might know your sin is forgiven, covered, no longer counted against you, but against him. Or you're just sorry that you got caught. Or that your sin has led to terrible consequences. It can be very easy to confuse being regretful with godly sorrow that leads to repentance. So may God enable us uh, this evening to repent truly and heartfeltly, if that's a word. With all our hearts to come, seeking the complete forgiveness of our God. This is quite a personal comment, isn't it, from David here? He knows that God expects no less than blamelessness in those whom he has forgiven. But we know from elsewhere in scripture that David did have shameful dealings. He did know shame and guilt because of his sins. It's this same David who conquered Goliath and reigned as king that also sinned so terribly. His adultery with Bathsheba, then his, the decisions that compounded that. He ensured his husband was killed, her husband was killed on the battlefield. And here we get a little insight of his personal experience of what that was like, so that we might be encouraged to not make the mistakes that he did, but to pursue godliness. We're not actually told exactly what brought David to write this particular psalm. But whatever he'd been through, what he draws from his experience is when we don't seek the forgiveness of God. When we deceive ourselves, when we think that we're without sin, we can end up having no peace. We can end up having no peace. Take a look at verses 3 and 4. David writes that when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. One commentator says about this, that David had learned that unconfessed sin is a festering sore. 
He is in such anguish, he compares his feeling to his bones wasting away and the sapping of his strength. After a week like the one we've just had, maybe it feels like a long time ago, uh, but I'm sure you can remember those hot summer days, uh, opposite to the coldness we've had this week. And the heat, it just drains our energy, doesn't it? Some of us cope better with it than others, but it can sometimes feel so hot that we just tire out much quicker than we usually would. We get tired doing not a lot. The summer heat can sap us of our strength, can't it? We know something of that physically. And here in this picture language, David is saying that he experienced the the Lord's heavy hand on him. And this discipline weighed on him so heavily that he knew real anguish. His guilt immobilized him. It, It weakened him. It had a real effect on him because it was continuous day and night, we're told. Day after day of Mediterranean drought, drying up David's vigor like a plant without water in the heat of high summer. David's conscience was under such real anguish. His sin had brought him under God's discipline. And he didn't just know it, he felt it. It affected all of him. And he did not know relief from this heavy anguish until he recognized his sin for what it is, a serious offense against the Lord. And so look at how things change in verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. David confessed his sin and as he did that it was like the welcome summer rain falling on parched ground. It produced a life bringing peace, quenching a thirsty soul. In the end, he gives in. David realizes he cannot go on as he is. And so he acknowledges his sin to God and he finds peace through forgiveness of his sins. I wonder, did you notice as we just heard verse 5 again there, that we have those three different words for sin. David recognizes his sin, his iniquity, his transgressions, which we saw in the opening verses. David knows he is a rebel. He has missed the mark of God's perfection. He has committed sins against the Lord. And so look at this wonderful threefold confession in response to his 3D sin. He acknowledged his sin to God. He made known his sins. He named them. He made it very clear before God that he had sinned. He knew that. He admitted that. But then David also did not cover up his his iniquity. He didn't go on trying to hide his sins. He tried to do that in the past and he'd known no peace. Just anguish in his very being. And so he makes the conscious decision to no longer put on a mask and pretend that he never failed. And then he says again there in verse 5, I will confess my transgression to the Lord." The disciplining hand of God that David had known upon him brought him to a willingness to confess his rebellion to God. As I've said, we don't know the sin exactly that brought David to compose this psalm. But whatever it was, the Lord forgave the guilt of his sin. What a note of joy that struck here. The depths, despite them, of the anguish that David had known. He confesses his sin to God and he finds peace through forgiveness he knew all too well that the lord is the one who forgives and it's complete and it's total he doesn't earn his forgiveness he simply acknowledges his sin he stops trying to hide it and he confesses it to the lord and so here we are a good thousand years 
also before the coming of the Lord Jesus as this psalm is being written. As we've seen in Mark 2, we've seen the Lord Jesus come and bring that forgiveness of sins. And yet here in this psalm, we're hearing the echoes of the New Testament of what will come. In 1 John 1 verse 9, in those words of the complete forgiveness of God, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just and he'll forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness that is found in Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Full and free forgiveness is available to you this evening, friend. You can know the complete forgiveness of God. As you confess your sins, as you acknowledge your rebellion against a holy God, God is faithful and he's just and he demonstrates this at the cross of the Lord Jesus. There he shows us sins not just swept under the carpet. It's placed on the shoulders of his son. God is just. And his justice means that we will either get the punishment we deserve for our sins or Jesus will take it for us, demonstrated in this bread and wine before us this evening. That's why I wonder, friends, if you can say that God has forgiven the guilt of your sins. If you can't, then why not come this evening and confess them? Turn to Jesus Christ and ask him to forgive you, believing that he died on the cross for you. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And yet if you do believe in him this evening, then you can say what David says here in verse 5. And that means, believer, that you can be absolutely assured that you are completely forgiven the devil will try and trip you up this week and he'll drag you down by reminding you of that terrible thing that you did that you're ashamed of from all those years ago and he'll tell you that god couldn't possibly have forgiven you for that thing but he has he has forgiven you if you've confessed your sins to him from a genuine heart then, brother, sister, you are forgiven. God forgives completely. You are right with him. He declares you to be in right standing before him through faith in his son. But David was evidently a believer in the Lord when this was all going on. And so it reminds us, doesn't it, that we must continually be confessing our sins. You and I, we need to keep short accounts with the Lord. We need to acknowledge our sin to God. Don't try and hide it. Because you'll know anguish in your souls. We will know turmoil. Our consciences won't let us rest. So come this evening and repent of your sins. Confess them. Thanking the Lord again this evening for that wonderful forgiveness for all of our sins. That is found in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come and do that this evening. Confess your sins. Turn to the Lord. Make it a daily habit. And know the refreshing of God's forgiveness and peace as you trust in him. That's what David came to do. He knew that. God forgives completely. And so then, as we move into the second half of this psalm, we now come to the second truth that we learn from David's experience. And it is this, that God protects the wise. God protects the wise in verses 6 to 11. And verse 6 begins with that word, therefore. Which tells us that what David is now going to go on to say in these remaining verses, is based on his experience of God's forgiveness. We've got to keep that in mind. So verse 6, Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. Based on his vivid experience of forgiveness through repentance and confession, David urges others to do what he did and so receive 
what he did. He urges us to do what? To pray to God while he may be found. Suffering isn't always a result of God's discipline. Just ask Job about that. But adversity and anguish is always an occasion for the wise in heart to pray, to draw near to God in prayer. The faithful, or the godly there in verse 6, are encouraged by David to draw near to God, confident in God's ability to protect us and to deliver us from whatever mighty waters might come against us. It's quite a vivid picture, isn't it? We've seen in our news over recent weeks, flooding in parts of the, the UK, pictures that have demonstrated what this verse is saying so clearly. It speaks of great adversities coming against us. And they might feel like rushing waters, huge waves coming at us, and we don't know how we're going to get through it. Well, here we have a certain promise that the Lord will protect those who have sought their refuge in him. The faithful, the godly, you who are following the Lord Jesus Christ this evening can say of your Lord, you are my hiding place and you will protect me from trouble. You can have a deep confidence in the protective care of God this evening. In the midst of trouble, God will guard and protect you. And again, we've got to stress this is not a guarantee of never knowing physical harm, but it is a guarantee that the Lord will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will keep you to the end. And brothers and sisters, maybe you find yourself facing troubles this evening. They might be the the same regular troubles that you've faced for a long, long time. Or maybe they're new troubles. They're bolt from the blue troubles. Maybe they're health worries or work pressures, your financial issues, your future decisions, your relationships that are strained, the stresses that you have at school, or your family circumstances, whatever it might be that is coming against you like the rising mighty waters. And these things might be very close and very real for you this evening. But here we're encouraged to trust that the Lord will protect us. And you can know something of his sustaining presence as you draw near to him in prayer. He surrounds the faithful, we read in verse 7, but not with a big defensive wall. That's maybe what we'd expect to hear. But David says that the Lord surrounds me with songs of deliverance. Songs of deliverance, the joy of our forgiveness and protection expresses itself in joyful songs. As one writer says, it is as if the confident songs of those who have placed their trust in the Lord soar upwards to form an impenetrable barrier to repulse the enemy. That's why we sing, isn't it, really? We don't just do it because we like a sing. We sing because we have known the deliverance of God from our sin, and we know that God will keep us and ultimately deliver us safely home, even when we are facing seemingly insurmountable troubles. And so keep on singing this week, won't you? Keep on singing the wonderful truths of your salvation and of the care of your heavenly father. Use a hymn book, use Spotify, YouTube, use whatever that will help you this week to sing to your God. Because we can be absolutely sure and certain of the Lord's protection this week. He will keep us. But how should we live under God's protection? Well, remember that from verse 6 on, we are learning of David's experience of forgiveness. And David is saying here in this psalm that those who trust in the Lord and are forgiven can be certain of his protection. And so we should live wisely. And we should live wisely, as verse 8 is widely agreed in the original language, it's a direct word from God. Verse 8 isn't the Lord speaking to the psalmist like the rest of the psalm. No, verse 8 should be in inverted commas because it's a direct word from God to us to live 
wisely. Look at uh, verse 8 there, what that word is to us. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. The Lord has promised to instruct those who are his, his children. He's promised to give them the wisdom and to watch over them. We're reminded, aren't we, of our God's loving eye, of his watchfulness over us, his attentiveness to our circumstances, his intimate care. If we are forgiven, then we will know the instruction and the counsel of God who is intimately concerned for us. The Lord calls us to be wise, to have a teachable spirit. Because as one writer says, if forgiveness is good, fellowship is better. And by that, I think he's getting at the fact that if the forgiveness of God is good, when we first come to know him, then ongoing fellowship with him is better. Because life with him is better than life without him. And so we should want to know the gentle touch of God on our lives. Living out his commands, going the way that he instructs. That is not the way of the horse or the mule, which have no understanding. We read there in verse 9, don't we, of how horses must be bridled to, to be useful. They'll do the will of their master if they have to, under compulsion. But we who have been forgiven should follow God's instruction and teaching out of love and gratitude to our God. We are given by God freedom on the highway of godliness. God desires for us to be walking the road of wisdom. If we walk any other road than that, we're being so foolish. and We're showing a, a lack of understanding of what it really is that our Lord and Savior has done for us. And so I wonder this evening if you're walking the road of wisdom or foolishness tonight. Are you living the life that God has called you to live? Having been graciously forgiven? Or are you living the life that you'd rather live? Are you living wisely or not? Here David reflects gratefully on his response to the grace of God in his life. When God's hand was pressing heavily upon him. He drew near to the Lord. He confessed his sin. Let the faithful pray to you while you may be found. And out of our desire to grow in holiness, we draw near to the Lord and we find refuge in him. And if we decide not to do that, well, here bluntly, we're more like an animal, like a horse or a mule who must be kept in check. So I really encourage you this evening to seek wisdom because of the complete forgiveness of God because of his ultimate protection over us and because of the promise here in verse 8 of God himself to personally instruct us and counsel us and in case we hadn't quite got the point that David has been getting across in verses 6 to 9 he says it again in verse 10 many are the woes of the wicked but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him this is a wonderful verse which again assures us of God's protection, of his loving faithfulness to his children. If you trust in the Lord this evening, then God loves you with an unfailing love. If you are relying on the Lord, if he is your hiding place and refuge, then you will know and you will experience the constant love and protection of our almighty loving Father. If you're going to be a fool and say there is no God, well then you will not know this unfailing love surrounding you and keeping you. And why on earth would you not want that? Why would you want to go on in your own hopelessness, continuing in your sins and knowing many woes, when you could know the unfailing love of a heavenly Father 
who will ensure you're heading to a place where there are no more woes at all. Don't carry on your own way this evening, friend. Come to the Lord and trust in him. Maybe, Christian, you need to come back to the Lord this evening. You've wandered far away. You are cold in your heart right now. Come back to him and trust yourself again to him. Recommit your life to him. Be sure that you are forgiven and be certain of the Lord's unfailing love to you. These assurances of God's love and his protection, his guidance and forgiveness, they mark the highway of wisdom. And it means that the people of God really are blessed, as we saw back at the start in verses 1 and 2. Here we see, don't we, that even when we do sin, and we all know that we continue to struggle with sin, we don't continue on in adversity indefinitely like the wicked. No, our God protects us and changes our groaning of verse 3 into joyful songs of deliverance in verse 7. And that's why this psalm concludes in the way that it does. With an exhortation in verse 11, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. We're not called to make an attempt to feel happy when we don't feel like that. No, the people of God, every follower of Jesus, the faithful who are mindful of all the benefits of the Lord, his forgiveness, his protection, his guidance, his unfailing love, surely, because of all the Lord's benefits, We'll rejoice. We'll rejoice. These blessings are ours. In and through the Lord Jesus Christ, we're blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, according to Paul at the start of Ephesians 1. And so we will praise, won't we, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because of who our God is, a gracious and compassionate God, the one who is so forgiving. Because of what he's done in sending his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to accomplish that salvation, that we can know forgiveness, that we can experience his unfailing love. Is there any other response than what Paul wrote to the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord always? And he says it again, rejoice. And so as God has spoken to us this evening in this psalm, reminding us of that complete forgiveness that he grants Uh, to all who will come and confess their sins with a genuine heart, as he's encouraged us that we know his protection and guiding, that we might live wisely for him, following his instruction. As he's spoken to you of his unfailing love for you, doesn't it make you glad? Aren't you thrilled? The gospel's really good, isn't it? Oh, God is good in, in all he does. See what he's done for you in and through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom this psalm is pointing us forward to. And so won't we sing, you who are upright in heart, because God has completely forgiven you and protects those who wisely walk in his ways. Won't you sing, you who are right with God and are walking in his ways. Won't you sing, you who have confessed your sins. And are glad when you praise God from whom all blessings flow. Will you rejoice in your Saviour and in your Lord, in your triune God, for your salvation in his sovereign providence as he guides you with unfailing love? Won't you rejoice in those words we sang earlier of that plenteous grace with him that is found, that grace to cover all my sin. Let those healing streams abound, make and keep me pure within. Brothers and sisters, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one 
whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad. You righteous sin, all you who are upright in heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the blessings of this psalm. It is full of precious promises to us. And we praise you that they are ours this evening in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. May we all know that refreshing forgiveness as we confess our sins to you each day. We love you for your sovereign protection and your fatherly care. Keep us and help us to walk wisely in your sight and to know your unfailing love each day this week. Not because we deserve it or can earn it, but because we come in Jesus' name. Amen.